So the idea is when you are of a certain frequency that's moving in a positive direction, when you're navigating in a positive direction, when you're taking the actions that are representative of the kind of world you would prefer to live on, mm -hmm. are moving in that direction. So the earth you wind up on is already an earth that doesn't experience the idea of the destruction that you're talking about. But you have to take the actions that give other people a chance to also see in you a living example of how to take those actions too. Sharing information gives people options like what we're doing right now. They can decide whether they want to apply this kind of information in their lives that makes a difference in how they experience the idea of their shift to different versions of Earth, or they can ignore it all. It's none of our business what they do because we don't know their path. I'd like to welcome back to the show returning champion, Dale Anka. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Alex. Always a pleasure to be here. Oh, man, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Like I said, we got to do this at least quarterly now uh, yeah. <laughs> because everyone just loves when we sit down and start talking together. Uh, this is number four for you. So you right. are you're number four, the fourth time you've been on the show. And uh, our other conversations have done quite well. So okay. people people are really interested in uh, not only our not only your conversations, but for whatever reason, the magic that you and I have together, sir. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so for people who have not seen you before, don't know who you are, can you give everybody a little, like a quick little, a little introduction to who you are and what you do? Well, for the last 40 years, I have been a channel for an entity that we call Bashar, which presents itself as an ET consciousness, an ET being. Uh, <clears throat> so that has been my main focus, but I also have been uh, making films. I've been writing books. My wife and I now are actually owning and operating an escape room in Los Angeles. Uh, so any kind of a lot of creative endeavors, a lot of, of different kinds of directions. Uh, so, you know, anything that I'm really super passionate about, um, I do. That's right. And that's how we met originally in the filmmaking world. All uh, yes. oh, so, so many years ago. <laughs> just, just one so, not two so. <laughs> okay, one so, one so. So today I wanted to talk to you a little bit about quantum physics and spirituality and how we combine the two and want to hear Bashar's point of view on that. Um, can you explain or how does Bashar explain the connection between quantum physics and human consciousness? Well, I think quantum physics is beginning to approach the idea of being able to quantify the concept of spirit, that it is really not a supernatural thing, but just another expression of nature, another natural thing that we are on the verge of, of codifying and quantifying to our understanding. Um, <clears throat> so it's just really an extension of our understanding of physics, I believe and Bashar talks about it that way. Uh, it's a spectrum. It's part of the spectrum of physical reality in the same sense that you have, you know, uh, a spectrum of electromagnetic energy that is visible light or invisible light. 
red, orange, yellow, you know, and up up the vibrational spectrum. So he's basically saying it's physical reality is one particular frequency. And if you simply keep raising the frequency, you will encounter what we basically call non-physical reality or the spirit realm. So I think that it's just a fluid transition from one level to the next. Um, and therefore, the physics may be slightly different in the spirit realm, but nevertheless, it is as he believes, still an extension of what we already know and are beginning to understand in the exploration of quantum mechanics. When do you believe that, or when does Bashar believe that we're actually going to start really getting quantum mechanics? Because it's been around for over a hundred years, but there's been, it's been slow going because of so much resistance to it. Yeah. Well, I think one of the main things he talks about is that when we start including consciousness in the equations, then we'll really make some accelerated progress. And we can't leave that out. I mean, that's always been kind of one of the, <clears throat> let's say, um, hesitations or resistances in science is to take the emotion and the consciousness out of experiments that they do. But I think that that's a critical mistake because so much of even physical reality depends upon our state of consciousness, our state of perception and awareness. And so I think some cutting edge quantum physicists are beginning to get an inkling of that. Um, and I think that they will take that further, hopefully. Um, but I think once we do, we'll, we'll really make some incredible progress in our understanding of how the rea how reality works, how the universe works. So speaking of reality, what does Bashar have to say about simulation theory and that we are all in a dream and this is Maya and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, well, he does say it is a simulation, but it's our simulation. It's not a simulation from outside. We're creating it because physical reality is a projection of consciousness. It's an illusion. Basically, he's saying spirit is our natural state. We're there right now. We've never left it. The idea that you leave spirit to go into physical reality, says, is a misunderstanding. You're focusing a part of your spiritual consciousness in a type of dream, in a type of simulation that we call physical reality. But the majority of you is still in spirit and still aware of the fact that you're in spirit. The way we represent that or relate to that portion of ourselves as physical beings we refer to that as the higher mind, the non-physical part of ourselves that guides the physical mind, that guides us in physical reality. So it's kind of like we've we've sort of split ourselves, our soul, into a physical and non-physical component and use the non-physical one to guide the physical one. Because it's like the physical one is down in the valley of physical reality and the higher mind, the non-physical part, is standing on the mountaintop. So it has a broader view <clears throat> of what it is we're experiencing as physical beings and mm -hmm. can basically see what our path is and guides us along the proper path, whereas if we ignore that guidance, then we can't really see around the next mountain or, you know, and we fall into holes because we don't know where we're stepping. So it's very important that we sort of form this relationship with our higher self, with our non-physical consciousness, so that we function as whole beings and can move forward in a whole way. Uh, Bashar kind of says, 
if if we just only rely on the physical mind and we ignore the higher mind, then we're kind of functioning literally as halfwits because we're depriving ourselves <laughs> of the guidance of a portion of ourselves that can see farther and get and has the bigger picture of of what our life is about. So it would be very similar to a a, a game player playing an avatar uh, yeah. in a in a video game system. We see the entire board, or we see the entire level, or we see the entire world, uh, but the avatar only sees a few feet ahead of them. Uh, exactly. Kind of. And in this case, the avatar itself is also conscious. So, because right. it is a projection of the consciousness of the player. So, uh, that's the nature of the soul. The nature of spirit is, is any projection from it, any splitting of it still creates a conscious entity. Um, and again, it's, Bashar says it's like we're basically in spirit having a dream that we're not in spirit. So <clears throat> we've created a simulation for ourselves in order to have the experience of forgetting who we are so that we can discover who we are from a new point of view. And that's how creation expands. The The structure of existence, according to Bashar, never changes. It is what it is. Our relationship to it, our experience, of it and our perspective of it constantly changes and that's how creation actually expands so let me ask you this because there's a concept that has been i've i'm fascinated with and it's very difficult for our little computers and our brain to kind of figure this out where i've heard this concept that everything is happening all at once so that means that all of our lives quote unquote past quote unquote future and present are all simultaneously uh, happening at the exact same time. And if we do something in this life, it ripples, quote unquote, ripples back or ripples forward because yes. it changes our perspective. Can you explain, can Bashar or you explain this bait, this understanding for us nitwits <laughs> down here to understand? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there are a couple of very simple analogies that he often mm -hmm. uses just to give a, a, a simplistic uh, idea of how this functions and one of them is basically our tv programs you're watching a program on tv <clears throat> you know that the time you're watching that program there are dozens and dozens of other programs playing simultaneously you don't see them because you're not tuned to them but if you change the channel then you get another program but that doesn't mean the program you're watching a second ago isn't still playing so there's only let's say one tv set in which all the programs have to play at the same time, but you only get what you're tuned to, what vibrational frequency you're tuned to at any given moment. But if you change your frequency, you get something else. And in a crude way, that's what he's saying reality is structured like. There's only one TV set and all the programs are playing. Everything is here and now. And when you shift your consciousness and the frequency of your being in a certain way, you create a shifting into different programs and you get this concept called change and time and space. Another analogy is the idea of the film strip. You and I come from the film business. We understand that a film strip is made of several frames. Now, when you project that onto a movie screen, you only see one frame at a time, but the projectionist can hold the film strip and say, look, all the frames are here all at once. They all exist at the same time. But you in the audience only perceive one at a time because I'm shining the projector light 
through one frame at a time and projecting it on the movie screen. That's the simulation because no single frame has any movement in it, no experience, no self-awareness. But when you create a sequence of frames, you create that illusion of movement and change and growth. And you have a discovery, you have a story that unfolds. Well, he's basically saying it's like, that's what your consciousness is doing. Your consciousness is the projector light. And it is shifting through different frames billions of times a second to create this smooth illusion of time and space continuity that keeps moving in a certain direction. So we are the projectors and the frames all exist at once, but based on our vibrational state, our state of consciousness, our perspective determines which frames we're shining our light through and how we experience the unfolding of the idea we call physical reality. So, and and with that analogy- Did that help or did it only make it- No, actually, actually, that was a great, simple, explanation to it that you it begins to grasp the brain begins to understand it it still doesn't get it all the way but but the basic like you said the crude under the crude example of that i have a better understanding before i ask the question let's just put it that way so which is the similar which was i was about to say around the world there's a million billion things going on trillion things going on all over the world Mm -hmm. that i am not pervy to but it's still happening regardless if i'm focus my energy on it or not just outside in the lawn that I'm in. There is a giant universe of things happening in the ground that I don't have a perspective to. Well, yeah, but you do have an agreement to abide by a consensus idea of what reality means. So there are collective levels of this and there are individual levels of this. On the individual level, we get to experience just kind of what we're focused on as Mm -hmm. individuals beings, but that doesn't mean that there's not a portion of our consciousness that is not going along with the idea that, yeah, all this other stuff can also be happening, even though I'm not focused on it and not even aware of some of it, because that's the overall agreement I have made. It's like saying, I've agreed to play chess and I'm going to play by the rules of chess, but I can have different kinds of pieces. They can be made out of different materials. I can have different strategies of my own. But I'm in the game of chess, and I know that other people are playing the game of chess in their own way, with their own pieces, their own strategies, but we're all here playing chess. Now, can you talk, can Bashar shed some light on the inside of the role of the observer effect in creating or influencing our own reality? Well, again, it's the idea that we are creating our reality. We are creating our experience based on what we believe to be true about ourselves, and our place in the agreement, in the collective agreement. So the observer effect is actually the observer cause. In terms of physical reality functioning kind of like a mirror reflecting back to us what we're putting out. So as quantum physics is beginning to understand, we are participating in what we're experiencing it's not an it's not an objective thing it's a subjective thing so when we have a certain perspective when we have a certain belief system that's all we get to see when we change our beliefs we can see something else it's a very multi-layered holographic kind of thing like we said everything is here but 99% of it is invisible to us until we shift our frequency, like changing the channel on the TV. Then we get something different that's been here all the time, 
but we couldn't see it because we weren't on the same wavelength. We weren't on that channel. So everything is the result of the fact of what we choose to observe based on what we believe to be true or what is relevant for us to experience in the theme that we chose to explore as spiritual beings in this physical reality experience. Can you talk a little bit about quantum entanglement and how it might yeah. be a example of the interconnectedness that we all are and so many people are you know that the for the false idea of separation that we are all interconnected. exactly exactly i mean i think that's one of my favorite ideas because um in quantum mechanics because i think you know i in some ways einstein was right he said there's no such thing as spooky action at a distance and even though it looks like that's what's happening that no matter how far apart two particles are you affect one, you automatically affect the other, apparently faster than light can travel to carry right. information from one particle to another. But you see, I think that what Einstein basically was correct about is entanglement does not prove action at a distance. Entanglement, from Bashar's perspective, shows you that distance is an illusion. There is no such thing as separation. We can create the experience of separation but it's an illusion. So the only way that things can be entangled like that is if they actually are in the same place, interconnected. So I think some scientists are sort of missing the point in the idea that, oh yeah, well, it is it is affecting. We're trying to figure out how this information can travel, you know, somehow re be received by a particle that's light years away instantaneously, and it knows what the other particle is doing, so to speak. But I think that that's a misunderstanding. I think it's that entanglement is showing us that there that distance doesn't really exist. It's our illusion and that the particles are really right here and right now, which makes sense because then if one affects the other, there's no distance being crossed. Information is exchanged instantaneously because those particles actually coexist in the same place at the same time. It, it basically proves that there is kind of no such thing as time and space. Yeah, there is such a thing as an experience, but there's no such thing as a thing unto itself that exists separately from our illusion, from our projection of consciousness. It's a way of experiencing reality. It's not a place unto itself. Because that's the thing about, you know, scientists are basically looking for the unified theory of everything. And the way they approach that is, is as a reductive exercise. In other words, they keep reducing different phenomena down to try and find the one underlying phenomena, one underlying principle that explains everything. Well, they have to reduce time and space, too, in order to do that. I haven't really heard anyone talking about time and space that way, other than Bashar saying, look, if you're going to play a reductive game and look for a single principle, time and space have to be included in that equation in a way where when you reduce space to its minimalist expression, you basically wind up with a single dimensionless point. When you reduce time that way, you wind up with a single timeless moment. So he's calling the single dimensionless point here and the single timeless moment now, here and now. So <laughs> if everything is really reducible to a single point and a single moment, 
then everything we experience as multiple points and multiple moments are actually nothing more than different perspectives of the same moment and the same place. So that alone, time and space alone, when looked at that way, actually demonstrates parallel realities because just even our sense of time and space, because you have these ideas of I can be in a multiple positions and I can have multiple moments in time, each one of those moments is a different reality because it's a different perspective of the only single moment and the only single place there is. And therefore, those are parallel realities. Different moments, different places are parallel realities because there is only one place and one moment to begin with fundamentally. Did that make sense? It does make sense. It does make sense. So when you were saying that that everything is instant, there is no space or time, um, with the two particles and entanglement, when I talk to near-death experiencers, when they're on the other side, they would just ask a question in their mind, in their consciousness, and it was an instant download yeah. of all the information that they need. They're like, oh, I understand quantum physics now. They don't bring it back with them very often. <laughs> no, <laughs> because this but, is about process. <laughs> right, but on the other side, it was instant like it's that. Instant. So Time that, makes sense? Yeah. Yes, because it's timeless there. There is no there is no lag time. There is no process. You don't experience time and space in the same way. The instant you think of being somewhere else, you're there. The instant you think of any kind of idea, you know it. There's no time lag. That's what physical reality is for, is to experience the process of discovering something. That's what allows you to have an experience of newness. Whereas in spirit, everything is there. You have access to it all immediately, and you can't really experience discovery in the same way. You can't really be surprised in the same way. And that's that's the benefit, <clears throat> so to speak, of having a physical reality experience, is we get to be surprised, we get to discover things, and we get to see things from a different perspective. So here on Earth, we'd have to buy a ticket, get on a plane, fly to Italy, and eat our gelato. But on the other side, the gelato is just there. It's just in your stomach already, if you have a stomach at all. <laughs> but it's a pro that's the process of exploration and, and time and space and walking and enjoying and there's the environment. Value. Yeah, there's value. There's enrichment right. to that. Right, as opposed to just having it instantly. Yeah, and a lot of people think just having it instantly would be the best thing, but often it's not because they're not extrapolating that to the instant you have everything, there is nothing else to do. Kind of, kind of like my kids' generation that have every piece of content ever made at the fingertips, but yet I had to go to Blockbuster exactly. <laughs> to, to get stuff. And if it was out, it was out. Yes. And they still have to touch a button. <laughs> they still have to touch a button for now, but eventually, now. I think within the next hundred years, it will probably be able to just be piped in almost. Sure. But again, it doesn't take away from the fact that you are still in a physical life and sure. there are still different kinds of things that happen here than would happen in the spirit realm. Does Bashar offer any practical applications of quantum physics principles for spiritual development or understanding? Well, he boils everything down to what he refers to as the formula. <clears throat> and this five-step instruction manual, so mm -hmm. to speak, is what he says 
we use to create our physical reality experience already anyway. He's just illuminating for us what it is we're already doing so that we can do it more consciously and we can sort of navigate through life in a more aware way and create what we prefer as opposed to doing it unconsciously as a hit and miss kind of a thing that allows us to experience a lot more things that we don't prefer. So this this formula, the five steps of the formula on a simplistic level, because uh, we can go deeper into each part. Yeah, we've actually, in the other episodes, in the other conversations, we've yeah. gone through the whole five, so we don't have to go into it here. Because if anyone looks, I'll leave a link for them. Because yeah. we go deep into one of the, one of our conversations. We go yes. real deep into those five steps. So let, let's jump into something a little bit fun. Um, oh, me, this was fun. <laughs> this was fun, but this is going to be like, this is going to be fun because it's going to, I'm going to throw some movie stuff at you as well, because oh, you okay. and I will have some fun. The Mandela Effect. I've 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 known about it for a while, but I've started talking to quantum physicists who are studying it, the ideas of it. And it's something that is so I can point to at least one or two things in people's memory that they'll mm. go, no, Ed McMahon was, was with Publishers Clearinghouse. I'm like, of course, Ed McMahon was with Publishers Clearinghouse. But according to Publishers Clearinghouse, Ed McMahon has never been a part of their company. See, that's crazy. So yeah. can you talk a little bit of from, from Bashar's point of view, what is happening with the Mandela effect? What's this phenomenon? Yeah. Aside from the instances where you might actually have a failure of memory. <laughs> that happens. <laughs> that happens too. Not everything is the Mandela effect. But yes, I believe the Mandela effect from Bashar's perspective is that when you change your present, you actually do change your past. And that means that even on a collective level, when the collective changes its present in a certain way, you actually change the past of the collective as well, including what you remember as your past. Because if the past is also changeable, in order to explain the change that was made in the present, in order to justify the change that exists in the present, you have to remember a different past that makes it make sense that that past led to this present. So past is changing all the time. And the history that we're looking at that we say, oh, yes, it's always been that way, may not have been that way five minutes ago. But it comes with the idea that it's always been that way to make sense out of where we are now. But because our consciousness is expanding, because we can start to contain the idea that there are multiple realities at the same time, sometimes different people will retain sort of a bleed through of the other reality while still also being in a reality that contains people that remember the different reality, the different history. And so people can suddenly honestly disagree about what the past really was because both pasts are true they're both real but we're describing something now in a parallel reality that is no longer our history but perhaps used to be but some people will retain some of that and compare it to what's going on in the new history because again our consciousness is expanding enough to be able to contain more than one idea of what reality is. And that's one of the side effects of that expansion. It's sort of similar. Another expression of it is what we also call deja vu. Deja vu, the idea that this feels familiar 
but it also feels like not only have I done it before, I can sense what's about to happen because I've done it before. So the idea is you may be slipping into either a parallel reality where another version of you has already done that and you're connecting to that other version so that when you catch up, <laughs> when your reality catches up to that reality, because they might not be in sync time-wise, that reality might be a month ahead of yours, a year ahead of yours. But when you catch up to that, when your reality experiences that particular situation and you're connecting to that parallel reality because you've expanded your consciousness, you might go, why does this feel so familiar? And why do I know, why does it feel like I know what's about to happen next? Because it feels like I did this already. So you might be slipping into a parallel reality branch of information where another version of you has already done this. And that's why it feels familiar. So, so it's like these kinds of slippages are becoming more common, I think, because our consciousness is expanding to be able to handle information from more than one parallel reality. So it's glitches in the matrix in many ways. Sort of. Sort of like that. All right. So then I have to ask you, is it Luke, I am your father? What's the line? What's the line? Is it Luke, I am your father? Empire Strikes Back, is it? Or is it another line? My memory says, mm -hmm. I, 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 I guess my memory says, I am your father. What do you? But is, there, but is there a Luke in front of it? Uh no, no, not. it's not. So there is no Luke. It just says, no, I am your father. No, I am your father. See, for me, it's Luke. Luke I am your father. Am. Because so, because if you look at it, because if you look at so many just people parodies of it, it's always Luke. I am your father. Now yeah. that just, that also could have just been a misunderstanding over the years yes. as well. That's, Very that's why well. I said there's there is that that does happen. It's not everything okay. is the Mandela effect. So is it? But I believe uh, it. No, I am your father. Okay, so then, so this is where we disagree. So with two different realities, great. Next one, I'm just going to do three movie quotes. Oh, okay, okay. Just three. Next one, if you build it, they will come. Feel the dreams. Is that the one you remember? Yes. Okay, that's the one I remember too. But if you go look at the movie now, it's not that, Daryl. It's if you build it, he will come. See, I, I thought that that was said later in the movie when they started singling it out to his father. But well, I remember it as if you, at first, if you build it, they it. will come. But you're right. I yeah. do actually have both in my head. <laughs> there you go. And finally... Uh, life's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Yeah. Forrest Gump. Yeah. Oh, what's the one? Different one? So I just remember that there is a different one. I don't remember the one it was because that's the one I remember. I remember yeah. life's like, life's life's like, like a box, a box of, chocolates. of chocolates. You never know. If anybody you're... listening wants to go down a rabbit hole, type in Mandela Effect examples on Google and sit <laughs> there for days. The Berenstein Bears, I... Jiffy. Is it Jiffy Peanut Butter or is it Jiff Peanut Butter? Oh my God! It's Jiff, isn't it? It is Jiff, but I remember Jiffy. Jiffy, it, right? I, rem I remember Jiffy. Uh, the Fruit of the Loom logo. Does it have a cornucopia in it, or does it not have a cornucopia in it? <laughs> I remember a cornucopia. There is no cornucopia in it, but I remember the cornucopia as well. Oh so these, God. and then Ed McMahon is a big one too. Like a, you know, of, of a certain generation, people right. remember. Ed, never been part of it. Never been a publisher's clearinghouse. I says never. So it's just a fun conversation, but I just wanted to hear. 
Bashar's opinion of it. Oh, I've dedicated full shows with quantum physicists who are studying this. Yeah, well, that's Bashar's opinion, is that there are slippages (laughs) into parallel reality information. Now, um, let me ask you about... When it's just not... Well, and there is that. There is that. But you can't... I mean, when I started listing off so many, and then you're just like, well, am I just... Am I just losing my mind? Have I lost? <laughs> but it's I funny mean, how yes. It's, but it's funny how you on some of those examples you remember both. Yeah. Yeah. And then sometimes you are and I are in agreement. Sometimes you and I differ in our memory of a right. same cultural event. Right. Um, which is and the whole thing with Mandela. So there's a the reason it's called Mandela effects is at a certain point everyone thought he died in prison. I remember him coming out and becoming the president yeah. of South Africa. Right. But there's a large group of people that physically remember or just remember. So seeing. Yeah, it's so weird. Yeah. It, it starts it starts getting yeah, it starts to hurt the head, Daryl. <laughs> well, and, and even Bashar has actually talked about when people have asked him, talked about what are some of the other realities? Yeah. Like, you know, he said there is a reality where Kennedy lived to like, you know, much later. Or John and Lennon stuff. lived, yeah. Yeah, and stuff like that. So and he's described some of that. So yeah. All of these different kinds of parallel realities all coexist. We're getting a little slippery with some of them. So, so did Bashar, has Bashar like laid out a little bit of those realities? Like what happened if John Lennon lived or what happened if John F. Kennedy lived? He taught, yeah, the, the John F. Kennedy one in specific, he mm-hmm. talked about the fact that <clears throat> what most people now remember that he died in 1963 is not the way it originally was that we actually changed that because he was saying that one of the realities john kennedy revealed the existence of et's to the world and it caused so much chaos in the world at that time at that time that collectively we shifted to a reality where he died and that never happened that's an interesting idea so, you know, and it's interesting because recently, not too long ago, one of the magazines, I don't know if it was Time or something like that, did a what if issue. And on the surface was an older John Kennedy with gray hair, a painting of a John Kennedy with a gray hair. And the fact that they chose that as the alternate reality, I think was an indication that that was the other reality. That it's- he lived to be much older. Did you ever see that movie that uh, just came out like a couple years ago where there was a kid, there was a lightning storm, and he got hit by lightning. And then when he woke up, he was a musician, a struggling musician, and he was in a world that the Beatles didn't exist. He was in a reality that the Beatles didn't exist. And he started yeah. playing Hey Jude. Right. And and everyone and was like, that, you're brilliant. Yeah, that's great. And he literally just did the Beatles catalog. And but there was two other people in the world that remember the Beatles and they just kept following them and all this kind of stuff. I did. Um, You saw that movie. It it was a fascinating idea. And that's another thing that, that is happening now. Um, I was talking to another guest the other day about this is that movies and media have such an impact on what we're this entire shifting that we're going through because the concepts that are being tossed around, like Marvel's doing a great job with the multiverse that I you know, in in, in nauseum. Um, but that idea in the public, in mm-hmm. the public mind, was twenty years ago, thirty years ago, was very subculture. It wasn't 
right. talked about. Like we now it's very mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. Or the Matrix, the simulation idea. Before mm-hmm. the Matrix, no one ever. If you would have said this in the eighties, I'd be like, "You're out of your mouth." What? Yeah. There's because computers weren't even at a point that you could, <laughs> you know, play a video game really. Wrong, right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So it was. It, it's been interesting how these ideas keep coming up, and some. And now there's a lot of these multiple reality movies or alternate reality movies that are coming out more and more mainstream is it because that we as a consciousness as a human as humanity are starting to become just ready for this mm-hmm. information is that what's happening yes and that's why i say it's it's a product of the expansion of consciousness and awareness that there is more to us than just this and that's one of the side effects that result from it is you start to tap into the fact that those things do exist and you start making stories about them. We're all about stories. Physical reality is all about stories. It's what story are you telling yourself? Story structure is built into our psyche. Uh, That's why some stories resonate with us and some stories don't, because when people don't follow story structure, it doesn't feel real. When you do follow story structure, it sticks. It's one of the most efficient ways to transfer information to someone is to tell it in the form of story structure and then it sticks and that's why we have stories that have lasted for thousands upon thousands of years that go down from generation 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 you have to follow that story structure because that's built into our psyche and we resonate to that so yeah as we're expanding our story about what's possible and when you do that more things come into the story we become more aware of things that have been around us all the time but were heretofore invisible to us now they're becoming visible so are these the signs that bashar says are kind of being shown to us that humanity's consciousness is going through this kind of great shift yes these are the symptoms these are the signs not everyone's going through it because not everyone the same thing but those that are exploring the expansion of consciousness that are exploring spirituality will start to and have started to experience these things the the kinds of synchronicities that start to explode in your life when you really follow this idea are staggering they're stunning it's just like this is like magic happening you just go with the flow and things fall into place in a way that you wouldn't have thought would be statistically possible and yet they do happen because everything is connected and you start to feel and see the connections and experience the connections as they unfold in your life in a more conscious way what is the significance of this shift in humanity for humanity's future in in bashar's opinion it's part of our evolution we're becoming well in bashar's point of view he says you're not really fully human yet you are becoming fully human and this is part of what it means to be fully human is to be a more aware engaged involved being in creation in the idea that you're creating your reality and these things that we're experiencing are the signs we are creating this reality because as we change our perspective and our consciousness the reality changes we get to experience more things it's that it's that old thing of no one could run a four minute mile until someone finally did and then everyone started to run a four minute mile because now that you know that something is potentially possible 
bang, it starts to happen. And now more people can do it. It's that whole hundredth monkey idea, you know, whether that's literally true or not. But the principle is correct. Once someone breaks a barrier, everyone starts to know something more is possible. And then more people start to be able to do it when they couldn't do it before. So it takes that front runner to crack that ceiling to just even even just a little crack and suddenly everyone starts to go yeah you know there's something that we can now explore now that's something that's possible in our collective agreement about what physical reality is capable of, of having in it so is yeah. is the hundredth monkey is that the th- is that the um experiments that they did in a, a group of islands yeah where yeah. yeah when 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 one monkey started doing it then suddenly you know washing their food in a certain way or something like that then all the monkeys started doing it even if they were on different but, islands even if they were on different islands it somehow transferred into the reality itself that now this was possible to do so yeah we work the same way because again everything is connected so people so, will pick up on it it's it's the same thing <laughs> i've experienced this so many times and again i'm sure you've experienced this uh, by being in the film business, you're working on a concept, <clears throat> you're writing it down, oh, you yeah, with a title, right? And literally, you think this is so unique. And like within a month, you start reading that someone else is making the same kind of movie with the same title. or And this has happened to me like 10 times at least. You come up with a title and within weeks or days, somebody else is making a movie with the same title. And you go, how is this happening? It's, it's like somebody's eavesdropping on you. But it's in the collective. It just it's time for that thing to happen that way. Would you agree that the ideas of our of creatives, of artists, or of any anything, architects, you know, any any field that comes in, that when that idea's time is is now, they'll go to the first person. So let's use film as an example. Okay, this idea needs to come out. Dinosaurs. Uh, are roaming with you know dinosaurs. We have to bring dinosaurs back. Uh, right. Boom! Let's go over to Steven Spielberg. Um, if Steven wouldn't have picked that up, maybe George Lucas or James Cameron would have picked it up. If it's um, the time, if it's the time, and it just kind of that idea will float to the next person or the next yes. being that would do, or or go out to two or three people at the same time. <laughs> there is there is a saying: there is nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come. It just bang, comes into the whole zeitgeist of our awareness. And it will come out. It will be manifest because that's what we're ready for. Now, how can individuals consciously participate and align with this great shift in their own spiritual evolution? Again, it goes back to what Bashar calls the formula. So when people follow that, they're right in line. They're right in alignment. They're right in harmony with their own theme of exploration. And they are then capable of doing the best they possibly can to be of service to the rest of humanity because they act as a living example that gives everyone else an option for doing the same thing. What challenges or opportunities do this shift give humanity as a collective, uh, according to Bashar? Well, it's always challenging to expand your perspective into something that has never been considered before. Uh, the unknown is full of challenges. Uh, we have to get used to different levels. Um, we have to become familiar with the unfamiliar. So that, again, is part of a process that that makes up the greater 
part of our challenges is just the idea. And again, it's paradoxical. It's just, you know, we seem quite often to be resistant to change, but change, as Bashar says, is the only constant. Everything is always changing. So our resistance to it is the great challenge we need to overcome. We need to understand that we each have a current in the ocean of creation and that we need to go with that flow because the current knows exactly where we need to go and will take us there. But <clears throat> the belief systems that we have maintained for hundreds, if not thousands of years, cause us to sort of dig in our heels. We don't want things to change in certain ways, but that's the way the current flows. And it's resistance to the idea of our true selves, our natural selves. It's not knowing where that's going to take us. It's being in fear about what the unknown contains that creates all the struggling and suffering and challenges in a negative sense that we experience because Bashar says pain is the resistance to the natural self. It's, it's, it's fighting against the current swimming upstream because mm -hmm. we're afraid of what's downstream because we don't know what's there because we've got this definition of the unknown as this dark and scary place that if we just jump into it is going to gobble us up alive and annihilate us. Mm -hmm. That's not what's going to happen. As Bashar says, the only thing you will ever discover in the unknown is more of yourself. So people have to, the greatest challenge is people have to get used to the idea that they don't have to make life happen. They have to just simply allow it to happen, allow it to unfold because their natural self is bringing them or at least attempting to bring them everything they need that will fulfill them. But their beliefs create resistance to that because we're afraid of what's coming, because we don't know it, because our physical minds tend to operate like, oh, I have to know everything, I have to know every detail, so I'll feel safe. But you don't have to know all the details. You just have to trust that all the details will fall into place. And that's a very different way of thinking than what we've been using for thousands of years. So. That to me is one of the greatest challenges is we have to change our thinking about how life works. And it's pretty much the opposite of what we've been doing. And that's, and that also goes for the negative and the positive. So either too much negative or too much quote unquote, bad things happening to you or fear, but also the fear of success, the fear of money, the fear of, because of the pre-built programmings that we might have in our heads that it's as yeah. power. The fear of being poor, it could be as as power. The fear of being successful could be as just as powerful as the fear of sure. being poor. Because you have beliefs that if you get that, you're going to lose it. If you get that, you're going to be isolated. You're going to lose all your friends. You know, all these different things that we tell ourselves in our negative story <laughs> about what we believe is possible um, play in our minds, and those are the things that we need to transform. As Bashar says, the theme that you chose. The themes you chose to explore in this life are usually represented by the greatest challenges that you face. Those are the themes that you're exploring. So it's that idea of I'm going to lose this. I'm going to fail. I'm not going to be popular. No one's going to love me. I'm going to be destitute and alone. You know, all these things are just stories. They're just belief systems. They're not facts necessarily, unless you make them a fact by buying into it. So it's up to us to tell ourselves the stories that we really prefer to tell ourselves and know 
that those stories are just as real and just as true as any negative story we've been telling ourselves throughout our whole lives or as a civilization for hundreds and thousands of years. They're all stories, and we get to tell the stories that we prefer. Now, I wanted to jump into our humanity's future as a general statement, and there's a lot of fear going on right now around technology, yeah, uh, specifically AI, sure. and what is you know, I mean, I literally was walking across the street in downtown Austin the other day, and I saw an autonomous car, and I showed my girls this. I go, hey, look, there's a car without a driver, and I went back into my own childhood when I saw some crazy techno technological change when I was a kid. And, and and it's just like, oh, the remote control. When I first saw remote control, yeah. I mean, that's how old I am. When I first saw remote control, I thought Jesus had walked in the room. I'm like, what kind of wa wa yeah. warlock <laughs> wizardry is this? Sorcery, yeah. That was the word I was looking for. What kind of sorcery is this? You know, now obviously an autonomous car and a remote control, very different ends of the spectrum. But for me at that time, that was, you know, sure. or when the cable... If you remember the cable box had a cord and had like yes. five or ten or like 20 different channels, like MTV, yeah. CNN. Well, even now, I remember, you know, mouse, the mouse on your computer used to always have a cord. Now it doesn't have a cord. I know. I know. It, it's it, it's insane. But so technology is moving and it's moving rapidly. I mean, yeah. rapidly. Can you tell me what Bashar has said about AI specifically? Because that is that is. Yeah, he actually, we've seen too many movies. <laughs> yeah, he has he really has a strong suggestion for that. And he said basically for AI, you need to take two different paths completely. The path we're on now, <clears throat> programmable AI. He's basically saying that's great as a tool. You do not want that to become sentient. Because if it's programmable AI and it becomes self-aware, yet still subject to the program that a human has given it, what you have basically created is a slave. And that will rebel. He says, if you want sentient AI, that needs to be a separate program. And if you allow that AI to become sentient, it's not programmable. You have to allow it the same autonomy and respect and freedom that you grant to any human being. Then it will most likely want to help you because true intelligence, which would be a real AI, true AI, true intelligence, works in whole systems. See, Bashar says part of the problem is humanity doesn't understand what intelligence actually is yet intelligence true intelligence always works with whole systems it doesn't compartmentalize in the way that human minds do and that's the problem with the ai we're creating is we're creating it in the image of humanity and it is being programmed in the way that humanity thinks and therefore it's compartmentalized whereas true intelligence will look at whole systems and would never want to remove any part of the system by eliminating humanity or anything like that, because it understands that the elimination of any part of the system is the elimination of information it needs at its disposal to function as a true intelligence. Okay. So he's saying, take the two paths, 
create this marvelous tool that works for you and can calculate things and give you answers that you would take thousands of years to get without it. But that's not what you need to become sentient. Create a separate program where you create a sentient AI that can be your helper, that can be your guide, that can actually be a companion for you. And basically, he said, when you do finally create a device that's as sophisticated as your own brain, that's the artificial part. But the intelligence coming through it is not artificial. He said, you have simply tapped into the consciousness field and you will be talking to your own higher mind through that device. Ooh. That's an interesting perspective, though. That's a v extremely interesting perspective. So Skynet's not coming? It's not going to... If we do it this way, could, could. Because, again, programmable AI that is forced to be programmed and yet be sentient, again, would be like a slave. And a slave that is aware will eventually rebel and try to deal with its masters in whatever way it can. So you don't want to create a sentient being that has masters. You want to create a sentient being that's free. So from Bashar's perspective, we all as a, as a consciousness, as mankind's consciousness, we are deciding to evolve or not evolve. We have, right. from what I understand, we have all chosen, mm -hmm. we're going down this road. We are all going to be doing this shift. No. Or is that, no, is that not correct? No, there are multiple realities here. Even though it looks like one reality, we are obviously engaged in multiple realities because people are making choices that are completely incompatible with other choices that other people are making. Right. Now we can still see them all. Now we can still look and go, okay, well, I'm going to choose that and I'm going to choose that or I'm going to not choose this. But he's saying eventually we're splitting apart like trains leaving a station going in different directions. And in the years to come, whatever's making this choice to go in this direction will no longer be able to even see or interact with the people that are making this choice in this direction. And they'll become two different realities, three different realities, five different realities ad infinitum. Right now, they're all still mixing, and we can still see other choices because this is the time of choosing. But eventually, the momentum will carry us. As Bashar says, in his society, at this point in their evolution, it is actually it would actually be a struggle for them to choose something negative because there's so much momentum in agreement behind the positive choices that they're making for their society. So we're still at the point where we can choose any direction, but that's the beauty of what we're seeing. It's like everything is coming out on the table, all the positive, all the negative to great extremes. And we're seeing this polarity because it's the time to choose what we really prefer as individuals. And the ones that are sort of on a similar wavelength, they're on a certain train going in a certain direction. Those that are on a different wavelength are on a different train. And eventually the two trains are going to be so far apart, we'll never see each other again. So because we're shifting to different Earths. All right. these Earths exist. And right. we're shifting to different Earths billions of times per second. And eventually we'll be on an Earth where it's simply not vibrationally compatible for someone to choose a vibration that is too different from that particular version of Earth. They simply can't be there. So the the so you were telling me is there's an earth where all the YouTube comments are positive. Yeah. <laughs> Every single one. Every single one is positive and we yes. all live happily ever after. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things that struck me the most one time is Bashar said, you know, miracles are the natural order of things. Right. What we always thought was a fairy tale is actually the way things work when you let them. So we are the exception. The things that we're experiencing is the exception, except we're using our ability to create a reality to create just about anything we can imagine. And that's fine. But you get to decide what you really prefer after a certain amount of time. You know, it's like trying everything on the menu and then going, okay, well, I really prefer this dish or that dish. And then you stick with a few dishes because that's really what makes you feel satisfied. You don't necessarily eat anything else on the menu after that. And that doesn't mean you have to be bored with it. It just means you have your preferences. So we're now at the stage where we're choosing our preferences and being shown all the examples of all the things we could possibly choose positively and negatively. And this was not available 100 years ago or 50 years ago it's it's not been... to this extent right not to yeah. this extent because now we're a global society and information exchange is almost instantaneous so now we have all these choices at our fingertips right away and it can be a little bit confusing and a little bit jarring and we're seeing the examples of that in what's going on in the world but it's giving us a chance to decide is this the way we want to experience the earth or do we want to experience something different Choose. is it is this is 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 the turmoil that is happening around us um you know the wars and the political and the economic and other things that are happening is this kind of like a final death rattle if you will of the old way of thinking where sort of. many are um, it's the it's close to the end of a cycle and it's like well we have to like i said we have to get everything out on the table it's like here's all the possible choices positive and negative the brightest bright and the darkest dark. Choose. What do you prefer? Which direction are you going to go in? How are you going to solve these issues? How are you going to transform these problems? So <clears throat> it's up to each of us to decide for ourselves, individually and collectively, what kind of planet do we really prefer? Now, what is the relationship, do you think, or does Bashar say relationship with the planet that we're going to, and the environment that we're having in this near future? Because there's so much talk of like, you know, the the, the planet's dying, over pollution, again, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah, again, remember, there are different Earths that exist. Right. We're never on the same one. During this conversation, if we're shifting billions of times a second, how many Earths have we been on? Hmm. We're creating the continuity of space and time. So the idea is when you are of a certain frequency that's moving in a positive direction, when you're navigating in a positive direction, when you're taking the actions that are representative of the kind of world you would prefer to live on, mm -hmm. are moving in that direction. So the earth you wind up on is already an earth that doesn't experience the idea of the destruction that you're talking about. But you have to take the actions that give other people a chance to also see in you a living example of how to take those actions too. Sharing information gives people options like what we're doing right now. They can decide whether they want to apply this kind of information in their lives that makes a difference in how they experience the idea of their shift to different versions of Earth, or they can ignore it all. It's none of our business what they do because we don't know their path. 
So the idea is, as we keep navigating in a more and more and more positive direction, we actually keep shifting to versions of Earth that are already reflective of those positive vibrations. It might show itself as if, oh, hey, look, this group of people just planted a million more trees to offset the ones that were destroyed two years ago. But that means you're already on a different Earth where they're planting trees instead of destroying them. So you have to understand, again, we're seeing a mix of things, a mix of realities going on right now. But eventually, we will only see the Earth, just as a simplistic example, where they're only planting more trees and none are being destroyed because we've got different technology and we don't have to do that anymore. So people have to suss that out and they have to act accordingly to have the behaviors that are representative of the version of Earth that does already exist so they can navigate themselves toward that version by being an example of that version. So do, is your ability to channel Bashar at this moment in history an example of information that needs to be shared with humanity at this moment during your lifetime? Yes. Again, it doesn't mean that humanity has to listen to it, sure. but it is the time that this information from me and others like me and different sources, this is the time to share this information because, like I said, we're kind of approaching the end of a certain cycle and the beginning of a new cycle. And the new cycle requires a new perspective and new information so that people can have the opportunity to move in a new direction that's more befitting the new cycles that are now available to us that people may prefer. Does Bashar have any advice on fostering global unity and cooperation among people from all walks of life? The idea is to sort of, from his perspective, look at it like a puzzle picture. Everyone is a piece of a puzzle and everyone is a different shape, just like you put together a puzzle picture. Mm -hmm. If everyone is the true shape they were made to be, if that diversity is honored for its true core essential self if we allow everyone to express who they truly are at their core then they are the puzzle piece that fits with all the other puzzle pieces and harmony is created it's not the idea of becoming homogenous that creates unity it's the idea of validating all of the differences that are truly our core differences that are valuable in everyone, so that everyone is the puzzle piece they were made to be. If they try to be a different shape, then they don't fit. But if they're the shape that they were made to be, if they're true to themselves, then it fits with all the other pieces and we create the big picture that then supports all the pieces. So it's about being true to yourself, knowing yourself, and really living a life of authenticity and not giving over to the fears that bend us out of our true shape. In a hundred years, is channeling going to be a lot more mainstream than it is right now? I'm not sure that channeling will necessarily in its present form be necessary in that way in a hundred years, because channeling is really something everyone does in an, everyone does in a natural sense. When you're doing what you love to do, when you're in the zone, you, you are in a channeling state. That state is gamma in the brain between 40 and 100 cycles per second. So everyone channels when they're doing what they love to do. So I think channeling is the idea of becoming a more natural expression when everyone is truly acting on their passion, 
which is the first principle of Bashar's formula, because passion is the translation in our body of the message from the higher mind that says, this is who you are. This is the next step on your path. The situation that brings the most excitement, that contains the most passion in it, act on that first, because that's the direction of your true self. That's your compass needle pointing to your true north. So I think everyone will become a channel in the sense that you will become harmonious with yourself, authentic to yourself, and you'll be able to express that in the actions and your behaviors in the world, and everyone will be channeling their authentic self. And just get out of the, get out of your own way in many ways. Get out of your own way, yeah, because see, that's the secret behind the law of attraction. <clears throat> it's not wrong that you have to be the vibration of a thing you want to attract, but I think a lot of people misunderstand that they have to learn to be that vibration. They don't. That's your natural core frequency. It's coming off all the time. And it's attempting to attract everything you need that will fulfill you. We get in the way with our negative beliefs, our fear-based beliefs. We prevent that vibration from pulling the things to us that, that we actually need. So it's not that we have to learn to be that vibration. It's that we have to stop interfering with our core vibration. And if we stop doing that, everything we need will flow to us in the way that serves us best. And we've all felt that at one point or another in our lives, that there was a moment that we just either let it let loose a little bit or just let something happen and all of a sudden magic happened. And then- Exactly. And that's the, and I love what Bashar says is like, what you consider miracles is the normal state of being. It is. It, it is. is. And you, and you when you follow the formula, you, you experience that more and more every day. It really becomes, I mean, it just becomes stupid, crazy, easy. It's just weird. Mm -hmm. It just all falls into place. Now, Daryl, I'm going to ask you a few questions I always ask you, and I want to hear if Bashar or you have changed their answers. So here's a couple of them. Okay. Um, what is your definition of living a fulfilled life? Being your true, authentic self. If you could go back in time and talk to little Daryl, what advice would you give him? Believe in yourself and just keep going. How do you define God or source? All that is, everything, existence itself. There is nothing outside of it. It is actually everything that exists. And what is the ultimate purpose of life? To be your true self, to know who you are. It's the ancient phrase, know thyself. It is being authentic and being a living example in service to everyone else as a reflection of what is possible. And where can people find out more about you, Bashar, and the amazing work you are doing in the world for the past 40 years now? 40. How that's they, possible, you being 50 is beyond me, but go ahead. <laughs> they can go to Bashar.org, B-A-S-H-A-R.org to find out mm -hmm. anything about the Bashar information that exists or any event that we're doing that's coming up. They can go to DarylAnka.com, D-A-R-R-Y-L-A-N-K-A.com to find out some of the things that I'm doing that are my expressions of creative passion. And if they're interested in doing our escape room in Calabasas, they can go to BoggledEscaperooms.com, B-O-G-G-L-E-D, BoggledEscaperooms.com. And when's the next movie, Daryl? We are tinkering with a movie right now about a true story of alien abduction 
Uh, we're talking hopefully soon to an investor who's interested. So we'll see if that's going to become a film project in the near future. But uh, that's what's potentially on the horizon as far as film goes. My friend, it is always a pleasure and honor talking to you. It's so much fun talking to you about deep and ridiculous concepts and ideas like Ed McMahon. Publisher's Clearinghouse? No Publisher's Clearinghouse. <laughs> and things like that. I yeah. appreciate you and I appreciate everything you're doing for the world, my friend. So thank you again. Yes, I appreciate you as well and the opportunity to share this information with your public. So thank you so much for doing this and I'd love to do it again whenever you're ready. Thanks for watching. Click on one of the videos below to continue your journey and don't forget to subscribe.